Hi, I'm Estelle. I spent a decade of my life in the area of social media influence, VIP parties, and traveling the world, but it left me feeling empty, lost, and longing for something more. Now you're listening to The Purposepreneur, where I have meaningful conversations with awesome people about life, purpose, and creativity. We try to figure out who we are and what to do with our one amazing life. I hope this helps you in some way as well. Let's begin. Hi, Xiao. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really happy to be with you today. And every time in the past when we've had conversations, I've had great learning moments. Mm. I've always left feeling more connected, more courageous and also with a lot more clarity and I think that's really something that a lot of people need right now. So I really wanted to have a conversation with you about the past COVID season, the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, I don't have to spell it out. It's been a super shit year for probably most people as well as for myself and I just thought it would be great to have like an honest space and process some of the emotions and the and the and the challenges and maybe how we've been affected as people or collectively as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's been a really interesting year and, you know, there are lots of different things that have affected us. I, for myself, I've noticed anxiety, you know, right, fear of the unknown, um, a lot of different and difficult emotions coming up. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on how do you think... COVID has affected us, you know, what sort of emotions have been kind of going around in Singapore, especially, right, with the whole yo-yoing and the moving goalposts and, right, five packs lockdown, two packs lockdown, 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 and, yeah. right, and then two packs now again and five packs and we might go back. And so, I mean, it's it's been a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty. Um, and obviously, we're not approaching this from a government or, you know, a sort of, uh, too high of a level, but I think I'm just really looking at how does this affect us as individuals? And do you have any thoughts? Oh man, like where do you even begin? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Maybe I'll begin with a book that I read during Circuit Breaker um, called Upheaval by Jared Diamond about how countries survive a crisis. And his book begins with uh, yeah, it, it, it begins with him sharing an insight that a psychologist supporting people through crisis noticed. And it said that um, when we go through a 9 to 12 week period of uh, change where you're sort of like, where things are forcibly changed about your life, uh something about that period causes you to unravel a bit of all your old coping strategies. And I remember reading that because the 9 to 12 week thing is pretty much circuit breaker time where people were forced right, to shift their old patterns of how they go to school, how they work, how they play and all that. And the way Jared Diamond had phrased it is that, well, all of you will have your coping strategies like um, unravel and 
you will take one of three paths and two aren't great and only one is great. And I'm like, That's tell really me, disturbing. tell me my path. No, I mean, <laughs> Show it, me the way, Xiao. It straightforward. It just said yeah. like, look, um, you know, it, it's either you, because that there's only so much unraveling a person can take. So you will either take path one, which is I will choose a healthier coping pattern and this one will actually help me to emerge uh, healthier and stronger and all the better for it. Uh, the second path is you just double down on your old unhealthy coping patterns and it it's like even worse than when you first began. And the third path is you pick a new unhealthy coping pattern. And it doesn't sound great, but it makes me so curious about what happened to all of us um, in this last 18 to 20 months. Like how many of us took path one and how many of us took path two and three? And how many path ones are handling the the consequences of people taking part, uh, part two and part three. So, so that was one of the most provocative things that I, I read at the beginning of Circuit Breaker. And, and for the last 18 or 20 months to see it pan out uh, in people's actual behaviors, uh, you know, you, you get the people who are saying like, wow, COVID or the pandemic was the best thing that ever happened to me. That, that, that's part right. one pretty much. You know, right. best thing that happened to me, my marriage got better good relationship with my kids. Sorry, can we recap the three mm-hmm. paths, right? So yeah. path one is new coping strategies. Yeah, and, and right. you pick a healthier Healthy new coping, coping strategy, strategy and you emerge better, stronger for it. That's right. And number two was going back to your old bad, well, not bad, but unhealthy coping strategies. Yes, but you double down. Which is twice as well as... Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You know, it's kind of like a, I don't know, maybe it's a existential like, like nihilism kind of thing right like whatever like life sucks we are such flawed human beings I might as well like drink (laughs) two bottles of wine instead of one I don't know how that pans out but but that's how he described it it's like you sort of like lean really hard on your old coping strategies and the third is you just pick a new one you know that makes so much sense because Mm. I don't know if you noticed and I've, you know, I've, I've had interactions with you over the last couple of years, yeah. but I got super fat this year. <laughs> and I, I realized, I realized that food is my comfort. Uh, yeah. So mm. I, I looked at, I just chanced upon photos of myself, right? From 2020 mm. in January and exercise was my coping strategy the year before, which was great. Mm. And then this year, eating was my coping strategy, <laughs> which doesn't look so great. Well, they uh. both, they both can be unhealthy in different mm. ways, but, but I, well, at least I, I'm aware. You know, at least... Uh, so yeah. you think there's a little path tree in you? <laughs> <laughs> I need some new coping strategies, for sure. Uh, so yeah, so so with the third coping strategy, that would be establishing new unhealthy coping strategies. Yeah, you pick the new one. Right. You know. Yeah. So, so, so instead of smoking, you drink. Uh, or instead yeah. of drinking, you smoke, basically. Pretty Something much. like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. How about, if you don't mind me asking for yourself, mm. have you noticed... Right, any old coping strategies or new mm. coping strategies that you have developed over the last one year? Mm. Well, I've I've started to walk. Uh, yeah, walking long distance. Uh, sometimes by myself. Uh, sometimes by 
sometimes I'll listen to music or podcasts and sometimes I take myself uh, out of that content zone because I recognize that's a, that's a habit for me to keep feeding uh, content into myself. Uh, and sometimes I take long walks with people. So that's also a new thing. Yeah, I have not done that before. Yeah, so but but long long walks as a way to cope with having to stay at home a lot. Sometimes like a whole day can go meetings, teaching and all that and I don't get out of the house. So it was like yeah, it was just like to yeah, to address that. To address the literal uh, physical stagnation. Right, like I, I needed to take myself outside, um, and and I see that too. That um, my my habit is to go inside myself. That's a very comfortable old coping strategy that has worked well for me, and I still do that. Uh, but the new coping strategy, if you like, is to both go to both go into myself and also to go out of myself, uh, which can look like actively reaching out to people to say like, uh, hey, like, um, you know, just come over and just have tea or you want to come over and let's do a walk. And, and that's not, uh, that's not my habit. I, I don't do that, but I did that a lot and a lot more this year, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that is something new that I did. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that's so interesting, right? Because I, I'm super extroverted. I have so many friends and, and I notice the opposite about myself. So this year I really went into myself and maybe I'm also trying to figure out where is a healthy sort of place of silence mm-hmm. versus and a healthy place of connection with myself versus unhealthy because I, I ended up overthinking a lot. And I thought I was reflecting, you know, I was being really intentional about Mm -hmm. having this quiet and solitude and slow down and right times of stillness. Mm -hmm. But I found myself overthinking and I'm just wondering, how do you have fruitful times with yourself Mm -hmm. where you're not stuck in your head, right? And, and you're, you're overthinking versus where you're actually in a fruitful place of reflection. Mm -hmm. How how do you see the differences with that? Um, Well, a a lot of the, coping strategies that we have uh, they it's it's about balancing what looks like opposing coping strategies so for example like uh, going going into yourself going deep into yourself and going out of yourself right staying silent and speaking up you know uh, being alone uh, and being with others and you healthiness is seeing you need both, right? Healthiness right. is also seeing... Polarity. Yeah, it's, it's a polarity, right? Yeah. It, it's it's interdependent and you have to both think and feel. You both have to think and do, you know. So um, what too much looks like, it can vary from people to people. So the best thing you can do for yourself is... Uh, so so if, if if you have recognized like um, I'm starting to overthink, well, that's good. First of all, you have voiced out that I'm aware that there's a too muchness, right? And, and, and we all 
have an inner radar, I would like to believe, of we sense that there's a tipping point, like it's a bit too much, like uh, I'm gaining too much weight or I'm spending too much time by myself, right? And and you will only recognize the too muchness in, like there's a growing sense of unease in your body or there's a growing sense of uh, dissatisfaction that's growing in you. And I would say just pay attention to that. So there isn't a textbook answer of when, when, when is it too much. Yeah, it's too much when your when your body, when your mind is telling you like, like, hello, you know, like I'm, I'm trying like to get your attention. Perhaps it's disconnected here. as well, right? Like my head and my heart and... Yeah, yeah. So it could be like, um, and, and and you can hear it in language when your friends describe it, like, um, like I'm just not feeling good today. I'm not feeling right. You know, something's not, you know, uh, and, and, and it's, and these are words that people try to use to describe this this ease, this connection, like I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not liking where I am right now, you know. And and it's just when you notice that, don't beat yourself up. It's just uh, compliment yourself for like, well, good. You know, I've noticed something that's not working for me. Right. And then the question is, what, what would do you I like want to do, do about it? Yeah. yeah. Well, what would you like to do? And and I think uh. A really underrated skill that we should practice is how can we learn to speak to ourselves, even the worst parts of ourselves, and especially the worst parts of ourselves. How can we speak to it with acceptance and tenderness, and yet uh, the rigor of accountability, all at the same time. You know, yeah. Basically, we are. Yeah, it's not either yeah. acceptance or accountability, but it's it, both. It's both. It's right? both. See, oh, so again, it's the it's, it's the not like self care. Self care. I just do everything I want and eat everything I want. Like that's not self care. No, oh, no, because yeah. like if you if you do self care by let me eat whatever I want, you wake up one day and realize like oh my goodness, I've put on like twenty kilograms. <laughs> like this is not where I wanted to be. Oh, right? I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. Like I also have my pandemic pounds, right? Pandemic and and, and pounds. actually, for, for, for hashtag <laughs> coin the new term. <laughs> no, actually, actually, what one of the uh, one of the things that uh, I did for myself is, I mean, I I definitely recognize that the amount of um, the amount of stresses that was put on my life in the last 18 to 20 months, I recognize that there's only so much that I can do to take care of every single aspect of my life. And I recognize that watching my weight was going to be one thing that I was not going to make as highest priority. I knew it. I and I sort of like give myself a pass. Right, so there's like you can't have like twenty priorities. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I recognize that 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 if you give yourself a pass, that there's a danger of it going past <laughs> a limit, right? And and I knew it. I, I, for me, I always know like you're going way past the limit. For me, like I don't want to look at myself in the mirror anymore. Like oh, look mirror, okay, not looking. <laughs> you know, like that for me, I know like okay, 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 I got it, I got it, but I can't deal with this right now. Right. Um and. And at some point uh, in like the, the the third or fourth quarter of this year, I I've had enough space in my life to like okay, I'm ready to take a look at that part which I've neglected, and 
definitely when I stepped on the scale and I oh and, and I was avoiding the scale for a damn long time. Right? But um but you know, I, I was never going to step on the scale to deal with that part, right? That was clearly not working out. Right. I, I wouldn't have been able to step on it if I didn't treat myself with kindness and tenderness and yet accountability you know because kindness and tenderness without accountability is like oh go ahead life is hard it's all right go ahead put on more weight grace grace (laughs) (laughs) no no i I know it's not gonna work because like uh i'm I'm very clear like there's a certain limit right Mm. to how far you want to push things you know but being able to say like okay i think this is the day just step on it and accept whatever number shows up and it's not and that number does not define whether you're a good or bad person it's just a number that tells you this does it work for you if it doesn't work for you well let's just explore what to do about it and i don't need to work on anyone's timeline i understand fully my circumstances what i can be put through right now and i just have to make a choice that leads me down the path that I want to go, right? And, and I think that's true for, for basically any, um, anything that we have put ourselves through. I mean, so, so, so let's say you are, let, let's say in the last 20 months, one of your coping strategies was like, you know, whatever, I cannot take this singlehood thing. I'm just going to go online and I'm going to like date a bunch of like weird people and get myself in all kinds of nonsense, and let's say at some point you decide, okay, this is a bit much. Like, I don't want to check my WhatsApp messages me anymore because I'm scared right. of stuff. I can think of a few people who have done that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm just naming like random examples because I'm quite sure someone sure, did sure. that. But never mind, right? If you're listening and that's what you did. No, no judgment, shame, man. guys. No, no shame. judgment. But, yeah. uh, but it's, it's the same thing right. as putting on pandemic pounds. It's right. like, you know what? Like, It's not to excuse the thing that you did. It's to have like the tenderness and the kindness to yourself to recognize like I made certain choices that are not supportive of my long-term well-being and yet I want to honor the fact that I recognize it in this moment and I recognize I am ready-ish to deal with it and I will only be ready to deal with it if I'm kind enough to hold myself and like all right let's take a look at it. Don't be scared. Let's just take a look at it. And whatever that comes up, whatever you notice, that's fine. Now that you accept the reality of what you did, what do you want to do about it to move yourself forward? You know, it's like you got to be tender enough with like, you're okay. You're okay. And only when you're like, I'm okay, can you ask that question, what do you want to do about it? You know, if, if you start off with that platform of like, I'm not okay, I'm so bad, I failed, I'm terrible, la 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 la. If you destroy that platform of self-worth uh, within yourself, you can't make good choices. You know, you, you have to build, you have to establish that inner platform of self-worth and self-adequacy of like whatever that scale shows, whatever the history of WhatsApp messages shows me, it's not where I want to be and I 
accept it. I accept that I did whatever I did. And I'm okay enough to do something about it. Really love what you shared. You know, it makes me think of one of the learning moments I've had with you Mm. where we talked about how identity is foundational Mm. and intention comes from identity and then boundaries also come from that, from the identity and intention. And I'm just thinking about about what you were saying about too muchness, yeah. right? So over this season, I mean, I think I'm learning and trying to exert my boundaries. And I was like, no social media, no this, no that, you know, and I was trying to practice my boundaries. But then I started also caving into these unhealthy coping strategies, like scrolling on social media till like 3, 4 a.m., which was just killing me and eating up my rest, right? And my sleep. But but it was just worse than before, like you're saying, like double down. And as I was thinking about it, I realized, okay, you know what? I need to not sit. And I would do these extreme things. Like I'll go off social media for like three weeks or like four weeks and then I'll come back on and I'll feel better, but then I'll go, fall into that little deep hole again. So I think how, I was, how I've been reframing it is I heard a, a thought leader or, or one of those podcast things, right? It talked about how... Maybe it's also not just no, but it's just a little bit less and a little bit more, you know? So like, kind of like what, what you were saying with too muchness, you know, sometimes it's just recognizing, you know, this is a little bit too much. Like it's not a, it's not like you can't do something, you know, or it's a total yes or total no, but maybe sometimes we need to think about it as a little less, a little more. Mm, yeah. Um, there's a... The author of um, Atomic Habits, James Clear, uh, the way he puts it is consistency is more important than intensity. So consistency over intensity, right? That That's the key to building better habits. So the when we think of how people change or how do things change, there's a tendency to think it needs to be about this big dramatic goal. Like I need to lose 20 kg. I need to run a marathon by by like three months, you know. And so it's about declaring these big goals. And James Clear is all about like, no, it's not about the big goals. People who set big goals uh, more often than not fail at those big goals. And then when they fail at the goals, they double down on how much worse it makes them feel. So the key to change is to build um, daily systems of small, incremental, doable changes. And that's the consistency thing. So I was listening to a podcast that he did of Brene Brown and he talked about how there was a there was someone who wanted to lose a lot of weight or get healthier. And the way they did it was to ask themselves a simple question. Like what would a stronger, healthier person uh, do in this moment? They just ask themselves, like that means they have a picture of like the person that they would like to be and just like learn to ask themselves like at any given moment like this question like what what would this healthier stronger person want to be and to keep it small and simple so this person um this person decided that one of the small simple doable things that a healthy strong person would do is to show up at the gym every day and 
he made it a point, even though it sounded stupid, to I will make myself go to the gym. Just for like 10 minutes or five minutes or even something. Even if it's right? just for a minute. Yeah. And not yeah. necessarily do any workout. Yeah. But it built in him this belief that I am a person who goes to the gym every yes, day. Correct. You know, whether but whether I do a one hour workout is a right. completely different matter. Right. right. And and that, that there's a lot of uh, power in finding what is the most simple, doable little habit. Right. You know, so so for example, when I when I mentioned like, okay, so I wanna do something about the whole pandemic pounds thing, right? And rather than like, okay, I'm going to go keto now. I'm going to go and sign up for a six week, like body reboot kind of thing. Uh, I decided the simple thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to step on the scale every day. It's not something that I normally do. I will, so habit one, step on a scale every day, no matter what it shows, it's fine. There's no judgment on it. And the second thing I'll do is I'll log in all of my food on an app and it's not so much logging it in because I want to hit a certain level of calories or count your nutrients and all of which gets tiresome after a while but it's just step on the scale log in your food that's it you know and it's not about succeed or fail it's just do those things and of course that there is a buy effect because as you step on scale every day and log in your food you naturally become a bit more conscious right but because there's no success or failure attached to it beyond ah, did you step on a scale today? Did you log in your food? Well, that's success. Wow. But you know what I mean? It's, it, right, it's what right. we call a keystone habit. Right, right. Right? Yeah. So, that's so mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. that you, yeah, I mean, I, I love James Clear's work and that really resonates with me because this year as well, I've, you know, I, I, I really have a desire to impact and to, right, impact people and to see transformation and change culture and all those big stuff. And, you know, I overwhelm myself with these dreams and these hopes and desires. Mm -hmm. So I've also started to think about what's one little thing I can do to win today or how, how can I live or do my best today, you know, and focus on the present and not so much about the future. Because as, as you know, I think with facilitating powerful conversations that you, that you run the training with, one of the things that you guys talk about in emotions is that anxiety is very much a future emotion. Like you can't be anxious about the past or the present. And so that's something I learned from you guys that always stuck with me. And so whenever I'm feeling anxiety, I have to catch myself and be like, okay, I'm thinking too much about the future. My head is in the future. I need to rein it back in. I need to be aware. I need to come back, connect with myself in my present. And what can I do right now in the present? You know, so so I, I noticed that so much of my unproductivity and 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 yeah, and everything was just so. F- it was because my 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 anxiety and my right my head was so stuck in the future. So when you talk about keystone habits, I really love that. I've definitely also been looking at how I can build better daily, you know, mini habits. But it's so interesting to me that you're not attaching a goal or success or failure. You're not setting this like 10 kg right um, goals, but it's almost like you're just creating these habits. And so, for example, I remember there was one season of my life I again, when social media was getting a little bit out of control and I was getting really stressed out, I started tracking all of my time on social media, right? So I did the whole toggle thing and I checked like everything I did every day, even the time I went to the bathroom and I didn't set a habit, but I mean, I didn't set a goal, but that habit made me actually become more productive and Mm -hmm. just not, yeah, not waste my time and fritter it away on social media so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just finding what is what works for you because it's about you need to find something that is I don't know if I'm using this phrase correctly, but it's like it's the minimum viable proposition. Right, the, the the smallest, easiest thing for you to do consistently that may actually lead to an exponential outcome for like you. The whole like get better one percent every day thing. Yeah, like so just it it's yeah, it is whether you can just do that little thing. I mean, for 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 that uh, story of how that person uh, lost weight by simply deciding I'm going to show up at a gym every day, even if I don't work out, I'm going to go to the gym because I'm a gym going person. Yeah. yeah, and and similarly, I decided I'm just going to be the step on the scale every day person, even though that's not what I normally do. Yeah, and and that changed something and it almost felt effortless yeah I'm, I'm putting in an effort but it doesn't feel like a great deal of effort it feels natural it feels like a part of you and I think that kind of change is more sustainable over time so I may not be able to do a social media fast you know because after you fast then you're just going to go on a binge after that right. you know so it could be... Ah, yeah. that's what's happening. Fast binge, fast yes, binge. That, you know, right. And I'm like swinging like a pendulum, like wee. Yes, yeah. yes. That, okay. That's what happens. Like, so, you know, you run a marathon aggressively mm. and then you go and eat chocolate after that. You Pizza. Know, or, or whatever, <laughs> la, you know, you, like you run a marathon and then, mm. then, you know, you go through like a slump. Right. Yeah, so... Versus a lifestyle. That's right. Keystone so, habits. So you're looking for that lifestyle thing, you know. And, and, and I had to recognize like, look, like, some things may have worked really well in the short term. So for example, I, I actually did do the whole keto thing for six months, uh, some, some time when I was in my like, God no, my mid-30s or something. And, and it was dramatic. It worked great. But I knew that that's not a life I like, which means like you can see it a mile away that I'm not going to want to live this life. So after that, like fine, you know, for, for at least a good year after that, like the weight loss was maintained. But then it couldn't last beyond that because it's like, I like bread, you know, the end, you know. And your husband makes so much pizza. Yeah. It would be so, really difficult. Yeah, so it's just not, um, it's just not doable for the life that I want to have. And I think that's really important for us to be honest about like that there might be the lives that other people manage to lead and you might want that life and you might envy that life but if it's not the life that you actually have uh then it's kind of pointless to try and model your life after someone else's right so it's very important to be honest with yourself yes not yes. to have this idealistic idol of i'm going to be like this person just yeah. because you right yeah. aspire towards it yeah, and of course, definitely have some limits to it. It's not like, oh, I, I am a 30 donut a day person, so deal with it. So it's not about that, but it's about the honesty of like, I'm a person who would like to have a donut from time to time, or I like bread, and which tells you, you could force yourself to go low carb, and you could, but it might not last, right? So it might be better to say like, look, um, I will have a donut from time to time. Or if I have a donut, maybe I'll have a quarter of it and no more than that. But it's easier than saying no donuts 
ever, you know, right, yeah. which might not happen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I think about that for social media as well, right? Because social media is such a part of our lives. Even if you wanted to fast from it, uh, there is some degree of you can't really mm. because the world is sort of like tied to that right. habit, right? Speaking of social media, mm. something I wanted to ask you about that was I have this love-hate relationship with social media, right? Mm. So it's a place or a platform that brings me connection in some sense, mm. right? I get to see what you're doing. I get to see what my friends are doing, but it also leaves me feeling very disconnected, mm. right? It's almost like a false sense of connection sometimes yeah. as opposed to genuine. I'm wondering if this theme of disconnection and connection mm -hmm. has come up for you personally or if you've heard any stories about it in the past year. You know, why do you think that's happening? Like, why do you think we feel disconnected from people? How can we be more intentional with connection? What does that mean? What does that look like given all the limitations mm. that we have? Well, I, I, I think social media is a convenient logging horse it does add to the problem of disconnection but it's not to blame for it because you can meet people face to face five days a week and feel disconnected wow you know you can what, what do you mean by that can you unpack that a bit being with people doesn't guarantee connection wow. you know you, mm. you you hear it when people say like they are with people all the time and they feel lonely you know so it so loneliness and disconnection, um, okay, they're different things, but they are related. But loneliness and disconnection come from not letting people see what is going on inside you. So I can be with people 24-7, and give them a surface version of me. And if that's what's happening, you will feel lonely and you will feel disconnected from people and you would feel disconnected from yourself in the sense that what I'm doing externally does not match what's going on in my internals. You know, so the, the cure or solution or whatever you're going to call it, is to make something inside you known, you know. And, and you have to be selective, obviously. It's not about let me now overshare every single thing that's going on inside me. You want to be selective about, okay, who are my safe people? Who are the people who deserve to hear what's going on inside me because they will respect it, they will honour it, they will um, keep it confidential, they will not make a mockery of it. And when you think about that, there's probably going to be a small group of people. It's not going to be a huge group, right? Uh, and it might be that you can't uh, share everything that's important to you with one person or one group of people. You might need several groups, right? So, so for example, let's say you are a guy and, you know, like that, there, you know, there, 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 there are different parts of us. Okay, so let's say you're a guy who there's a part of you that honestly loves, you know, let's say deconstructing Marvel movies. Like it's just your thing. You're a pop culture fiend and you do need a group of people or at least one person who, who invites that part of you and won't judge you for it. And, and it's a form of connection, 
right? Wow, to, I love to, that. Invitation to connection. Yeah, it is. So, so, and, and you need to identify like who, who allows you to connect with that part of you. So, so I could have like a Marvel friend. And then there's a part of me that struggles with, let's say, an addiction or depression, you know, and, and I don't necessarily bring that part to my Marvel friend, but I may bring that part of me to an addiction support group. And they are a safe space for me to bring that part of myself, let me process it, and I see those parts about them that connect with me. And I may not share with them my Marvel addiction side because it's irrelevant to them. Right. And that's okay, you know. And then there might be a part of me that I just want to have fun and not think about deep, serious things. And I have a bunch of friends who are just that to me. Right. You just know, do fun things with. That's right. Mm. And, and it's not schizophrenic. What you want to do is not to overload one person or one group of people with all of your all issues. All the parts of me. Wow. You know, and, and and that's true even for marriage where ideally you get married or attached to someone who would honour and respect a lot of parts of you. You know, the, the most important parts of you. But you don't want them to bear the burden of every single part of you. You know, I, I think about, you know, the, the, there's like these like terrible stereotypes of like girls who bring their boyfriends shopping with them and then the poor boy sit there <laughs> and For three guard hours their outside Sephora. My yeah. friend like literally lied down in front of mm. Sephora and took a picture of himself. And when <laughs> she went in, no. <laughs> yeah, so, so you, I mean like, you know, you, you sort of like have to check in with yourself. Like, is it necessary Right. For them to uh, have to be there to witness that part of you. Like, I, will you be oh, okay? Give the poor boy a break. You know, you know, will you, will you right. be okay? Yeah. And will the relationship be okay if you're like, if you... If he doesn't person, go shopping with you. Yeah, it's okay that you don't come with me because right. that's what I have my shopping buddies for. Right. And we can be totally ourselves in talking about fashion and all that. And I don't have to worry that, oh, are you bored? Are you this? Are you that? And I can be whole, you know, apart from you. Yeah, and, and, I, and I do think that leads to a much healthier way of being with each other when we take that uh, burden of like, you need to meet all of the parts of me. Yeah, and, and I think when, when we open ourselves up or open up the different parts of us to different uh, communities and all that, and do it in a way that is wholesome. That means it's not I'm being a different person everywhere I go, right? So I know it's a very thin line, yeah. but it's, a, it's not that I'm hiding different parts of myself, you know? Uh, so it could very well be like with, let's say, your, your have fun girlfriends, right? You do let them know like, yeah, you know, I, I sometimes get like a bit of depression here and there and I'm handling it. And you, you can let them know that that's just a part of you. But you may not necessarily go full on deep sharing with what's going on because you may assess like that's not what they are best for and they may not know how to handle it, you know. And yeah, so, so it's important for us to do that self-work of I will, uh, will honour all these different parts of me and I'm not, lying to anyone that these parts exist but whether that person or that group needs to 
actively participate in that part of me or know full on the depth of that part of me, that's a judgment call I have to make, you know. And 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 the criteria is what do I need? Who do I need to support my sense of wholeness? What do I need? Who do I need to support my sense of wholeness? Yeah. Yeah, I really love everything that you just said because I think that's really also been some of the lessons I'm learning this year. So I have, you know, dear friends, but this in a similar way, I've, I started to realize, hey, you know, just one person or these two people can't meet all of my needs. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I get in this mode of like silently judging them or like, how come they don't understand this part? You know, I thought they were like my best friend or this and that. And also... I love what you're saying about loneliness and disconnection, although they're different. And I remember having a conversation with you before and about loneliness. And I really love that where you say, you know, it's not about who you know. It's not about how many people you're around, but it's about whether you're letting yourself be seen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also one of my challenges with social media, right? Where I want to connect with my friends, Mm -hmm. but it's so varied and wide. If I put something out, it's not going to resonate, obviously, with everyone or even half of the people I know. So it's it's really strange, right, to sometimes put up an update and you're wondering, okay, how do I best connect with someone online? Yeah. And then there's also that that challenge of connecting with people at home, right? So, so I guess the question I also have is, right, it, do you think it's enough for us to have these... Well, I'm clearly hearing that there's an importance of that we have, need to have different friendships to meet different needs. So almost like different friendships will have different intentions, right? Some for fun, some could be like a church thing, some could be, um, yeah, people you bounce around creative ideas, like for work, which is kind of also what I do with Brandon. And um, yeah, friends that you, that you do different projects with or different things with. But how about with family, right? Mm. So, so, so given like with, with the COVID situation, you know, some people have become more connected as a family. And some people I've noticed go more into their own selves and they're stuck on their phones. So everyone's in the same house, but all we're doing is looking at our phones Mm. and there hasn't been that outward connection or Mm. that heart to heart connection. Do you have any, yeah, thoughts? Do you think friends are enough to meet that parts of ourselves? Or do you think we still need to have all these, to bring these parts of ourselves in a safe place like home. And it's, mm. yeah, it's, it's home even supposed to be a safe place where we are meant to bring these parts. Well, not all homes are safe places. I mean, that that's a, that's a reality that we have to accept. Not every home is safe. Not every parent-child dynamic or peer or like sibling-to-sibling dynamic is safe. And I think it's important for individuals to learn to come home to themselves and learn to be at home in their own skin, right? And sometimes if you don't do that work, it's very hard for you to connect with other people, especially those who may be unsafe or or triggery for you. So I don't think there's anything wrong with first um, drawing a boundary around yourself just to get in touch with actually what's going on inside me. Um, why don't I feel at ease in my own skin? Um, and to explore that. And of course, balance it out because you 
there are limits to what you can see uh, about your own life. You might want to integrate in like a friend or a mentor or even a professional like a counsellor or a therapist or a psychiatrist. Um, anyone who you are happy to invite their lens into your world, right? To help you see something that you didn't see. But yeah, I would say the first priority is can I learn to come home into my own skin, right? And because when you can, uh, you might be in a better position to then engage with your literal home, right? You know, so, uh, I mean, to, to put it in a story form, for instance, if you recognize like uh, there, there, there are certain like people-pleasing tendencies you have inside you that don't always work out for you, right? And if you can come home into yourself and see the effects of people-pleasing has had on yourself, your identity, your happiness, and after you make peace with that, um, and it's never going to be 100% peace, like you make more peace, you know, than, than one month ago or something. Uh, you can bring that level of self, uh, self-made-ish safety and stability into like home conversations that might be might have been a lot more triggery if you didn't do that work, right? Then if your sibling or your dad or something annoys you and normally you would deal with it by, oh, let me just do whatever makes him happy, right? And let's say you have done a bit of work on like, okay, I don't necessarily need to make him happy at the expense of making myself deeply unhappy. And you could be like, hey, you know, dad or bro, like, can I sit down and just uh, have a chat about the thing that you just asked me to do and I'm not free, I can't. And yeah, could you ask someone else or could you do that yourself or whatever conversation you need to have. Right. But I wouldn't have been able to have that conversation if I didn't learn to come home to myself. Interesting. So it's coming home to yourself and also being aware of your tendencies. So it's also leaning in the opposite direction, right? So if our natural tendency is to avoid conflict and people please and not to have those difficult conversations, then when you're coming home to yourself, when you have a sense of safety in yourself, you're able to then lean into these conversations and moments. Yeah, these potentially unsafe conversations. But it first starts with feeling safe and being comfortable and coming home to yourself. Do you have any practical tips on what that means to be safe and to come home to ourselves? Well, um, is it like say, you know, go into a mountain and meditate for no, six no, months, spending lots of time alone? None of us can go to mountains these days. <laughs> um, East Coast Park, <laughs> I hear it's quite nice. <laughs> I think sure. a practical thing that we can do, and uh, this is especially true for midlifers. But, you know, you can do it at any age. What do you define as a midlifer? Uh, anyone past thirty-five? Okay. Oh, oh, I'm I'm right about that. Like. Kind of explains all the crisis I'm having. Congratulations, right? So, and, and especially like big box of gifts. Oh, welcome to your midlife crisis. No, no, it's, it's like a shout out to all, all like midlifers, right? That uh, yeah. uh, the, this unraveling of coping strategies is a part of the midlife. And if you are midlifing in the middle of this pandemic, it's like a double unraveling. So it can right. be very disconcerting. Right. right. I, I think I saw an article on that. It was very yeah. insightful. Okay. So like the practical thing you can do is to reparent yourself. It's 
what that means is all this stuff about old coping strategies and healthy habits and all that kind of thing. Like in a nutshell, a lot of it is founded upon what we've uh, introjected and swallowed from our kind of our relationship with our parents. Kind of like like you know your 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 upbringing would have an impact. You know, uh, sometimes with unintentional consequences. Uh, you could have had the most loving, wonderful parents and there would still be a buy effect, you know, somehow or other, right? So the, the point is not to let me blame my parents now for my habits, but just to accept the reality that, look, your parents are imperfect. They could have been kind and imperfect all at the same time. Um, yeah, so for example, I, I had a friend who realized that, you know, my father was a very, very loving, sweet, kind, protective dad. And only in my late 40s do I realize that one of the consequences was uh, I have a certain expectation of the guys that I date, which is not very healthy. And I also don't really know how to look after myself in some, in, in some aspects because he overlooked after me. And it's not his fault. It's just one of the unintended consequences. So, so that's what I mean by all of us will have a thing, you know. And so the process of reparenting ourselves looks like taking a look, an honest look at the both the great things and maybe the things that didn't really work out that well because of the way you were brought up. It's deep set in you. And to learn to parent yourself. So, you know, that kind, tender, but hold you to account voice that you need to learn to speak to yourself in, that is the parenting voice. The, so, you know, like when you listen to your inner voice, sometimes we talk to ourselves like a very harsh parent. Right. Or like, a very over Why do you do this? How could you do this? What's wrong with you? Uh, uh, that, that kind, kind you know, okay. so the harsh... Why are you so stupid? Like, you know, asian <laughs> right. parent, right? Right. right. Or the other spectrum, which is the over coddly spoil you parent, which is like, uh, eat the donut, like, it's okay one, you know, just eat, darling, it's okay. Even if you're fat, I love you. You know, it's a very enabling. So you're looking at very extremes, right? And you want to have an imagination for yourself. Like, if I had that, an ideal perfect parent, parent, you know, that right. perfect parent, which doesn't exist. Right. right, who speaks right. with grace and truth. Yeah. Right. yeah, like how would they sound like? And to experiment with like uh, cultivating that inner voice that speaks to you in that gracious, tender, strong, honest voice. And, and then you listen to what that voice says, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so right. it's like... Um, you know, so so if you made a huge mistake, how would you imagine this wonderful, perfect, tender but frank parent speak to you? You know, they they might say like, "Well, thank you for being honest about the terrible thing that you did, and you're right, it is not acceptable. You're right, it was very damaging, and you're right that that's not." Uh, a great thing to have done to someone right. who cares for you. Right. So what would you like to do about that, right. my child? Wow. In, in some sense, 
you could say that's like, like the word loving of, it's like the word of God right know? yeah <laughs> you could like uh, say like that that's the voice of God if you like but yeah th- you you want to learn to speak to yourself in that tone and remember it's a balance of that kindness and the accountability all at the same time yeah so if you can even do that that simple technique of just learn to speak to yourself with the voice of a uh, that wise kind frank parent right then you might be able to talk yourself out of a lot of like silliness yeah, <laughs> yeah. do you have like one practical tip, right? On how we can do that without becoming super schizophrenic, right? Like, oh, you know, this, this, this and that. And then, no, I'm not. Da, 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 da. So, yeah. Do you have a thought of that? Uh, yeah, I, I think just accept the reality that there are multiple voices in you. And, and this is not a schizo thing. You know, like, like, you know, like the number of people who say things like, there's a part of me, there's a part of me, there's a part of me. That, that is the reality that everybody has. Like, there's a part of me that wants to beat this guy up. But there's a part of me that says, oh, forgive him. Those are all parts of your inner psyche, your inner personality, whatever you want to say it. And that's fine. Let the chorus of voices, you know, speak whatever they want to speak to you. But you need at a master voice in some sense. That wise, loving, kind, all right. You know, it's almost like you're speaking to the kids in your soul, right? All right, I get it. You know, you want to punch him out, you know, and I get it. You also want to forgive him now. All right, so come on, parts. What would you like to do right now? So, so, so it's sort of like learning it's to like speak to yourself. like a very constructive yourself. conversation with that, that, yourself, that, actually. That's right. So yeah. you're facilitating that chorus of voices that's inside you. Right. You yeah. know, and, and if you haven't learned that or you don't know what that looks like, uh, that's why sometimes people shop around for a therapist or a counsellor that they trust. Because a, a, a really good counsellor and therapist models that that loving frankness. Yeah. And by the way, there are bad counsellors and bad therapists. And by bad, I mean like when you sit in their presence, you feel even worse, you know, or or like it doesn't work for you. And if it doesn't, then uh, find another one. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what you're saying actually just kind of reminds me of what my new season is, I think I mentioned to you. So one of the things that I'm learning to do is to have these constructive conversations with myself, but I also really desire to do that with other people. And so next year, right, I'm going to go through my professional coaching certification and, you know, I'm sort of going through quite a transition, I think, not even just this year, but over the last few years. So I wanted to ask you as well, what your thoughts were with navigating change and uncertainty. So I mean, I've, yeah, going through all this transition and then for those who might also be going through transitions of some sort, whether or not they're thinking about changing careers or they are still figuring out what to do, whether they feel lost or they feel like they're stuck mm-hmm. or or especially for entrepreneurs, right? I feel like we are always navigating either the good things as possibility or on the contrary of that, the unknown. You know, do you have any experiences for yourself as an entrepreneur of how you have maybe in this year or previous seasons, gone through change, how do you navigate change and uncertainty with such clarity? Mm. It helps to have a very long-term perspective to life. And by that, I mean, you think of end of life, right? And if you have a pretty clear-ish picture of how you would like to die, you have a much better picture of how you want to live. 
So I would start with that end of life. Like what do you believe makes for a meaningful life, a meaningful existence? And if I die and I accomplish that, I think that's a good life. And if you lean into that, sometimes it surprises you with like the what's actually important to you. And once you have that clarity, because the honesty is you don't know when you're going to die. You could die tomorrow. You don't know actually how long that you have, right? And once you have that as the the, the North Star, if you like, the, the end of life goal, then you go back into your weird season, whatever it is, right? Suddenly it's put a lot more in perspective, you know, like this moment may be really bad, but this moment can pass and I have like 10, 20, 30 years uh, to make it right. So what then shall I choose? You know, because if, if, if providence has it, you will live till 90, you know, and there's time to do those changes. But if you don't live till 90, what will you do anyway? Right, because you have that clarity of where is it that you want to go. So for me, like a lot of things have happened in my life that may not be great, uh, may feel really, really horrible in the moment. But if I ask myself, would I care 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 mm. years deathbed? Right. Would it matter that much? Or even next year. Actually, a lot yeah. of things that we worry about today, it's not going to matter in like six months or one yeah. year, right? And then you, you need that, you need that perspective, right? Of like this thing that I've invested so much emotion and energy in as if it was the biggest thing that mattered. Maybe in a very end of life way, it wouldn't matter that much. Right. Yeah. How do you hold tension with that? With say, right, okay, I'm gonna, if I'm gonna die tomorrow, YOLO, I would do all this right crazy stuff today, right? And almost that could, lean into a very irresponsible sort of right impulsive spending and choices and kind of being driven by pleasure versus having that perspective of, okay, if I'm going to die tomorrow or in 50 years, mm. like what would my choices be? You know, like, so how do you hold tension between that YOLO kind of mentality versus living purposefully for the long term? Uh, I think once you talk about purpose, it's... It's a bit harder to make trashy decisions when you're thinking of purpose. But, but I get it. Some people might uh, maybe in a fit of immaturity think that, oh, well, my life's purpose is just enjoyment. I will just enjoy, 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 enjoy. So I think the challenge is to, when you name the purpose, your end of life purpose, to dare to dig a little bit deeper and say, like, is that all there is? Is, is that really sufficient for you that uh, I want to live my entire life, let's say, around enjoyment, right? Is that what I really want? And if you're saying, yep, then okay, law, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, uh, I'm like, all right, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Lah. But, you know, for, for, for me, uh, when I think of purpose, I'm thinking of like the kind of person I want to be. You know, and uh, that gives me a lot of clarity in, yeah, in understanding what I can take. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And so what would you say is your purpose 
through good seasons or bad seasons or seasons of change, how do you approach, yeah, working, living, loving with purpose? My purpose is straightforward. Because I'm a because I'm a Christian. No, scratch that. Because I am a child of God. You know, because Christian means something very different these days. Um I want to live the kind of life where Hopefully when I die, God, the Father who made me, will say, well done. That wasn't bad, you know? Well done, good, good and, and faithful, faithful servant. <laughs> you know, you, right. you made use of what I gave you. You didn't hide it. You didn't, like, pretend it didn't exist. You tried your best to give it as a gift to the world and that's what matters to me and good for you and that's what I live towards and it helps me swallow down things which may feel really really hard to take from time to time like how much money should I make by a certain age or oh I wish I had another kid you know all the kind of things that well, I mean, they are important. I, I would like it, but in the larger scheme of things, does it fit in into that end-of-life win that I'm hoping for? And the win is not God saying, well, you didn't make that million, did you? <laughs> you know, I can't imagine him saying that. <laughs> or like, man, you should have tried harder to have like five kids. And it's like, no, I don't think he'll say that. I think he will just look at me and say I gave you some stuff you made the best out of it you didn't question yeah you didn't question those gifts and think that they weren't enough you did what you could with it wow yeah so that's beautiful that's kind of what I live towards thank you so much <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that even as we come to a close and there's been so many gifts, thank you that you have left with me during this conversation. Um, what are maybe some closing questions would be, what is some practical tips or advice you have for those who are looking to live with purpose, even through this uncertainty and these times of change and right closing COVID and moving forward into the new year? How can we live with purpose in amidst uncertainty and change? Mm. Um, there's a great practical exercise you can do. Um, just look up on Google, Brene Brown, know your values. Um, she lists out the whole breakdown very well. I'm sure Esther will put it in the show notes or something. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a practical way of understanding what your values and your purpose are. And I found that really useful. Because once you know the words that encapsulate your values, you can then take those values and turn them into visible, tangible behaviors that are okay, not okay for you. And that's how you set your boundaries. You cannot set boundaries without knowing your values. You cannot set boundaries without knowing your values. Yes. Wow. Because bound 
boundary setting is how you want to do things. And you can't set the, the how, how you want to do things why. without the why. That's right. Yeah. So the why is your values and not many of us have spent the time to figure out what are our values. So it's not about have, being perfect about it, but it's spending a little bit of time like trying to name uh, what are at least two core values that I have that I want to live and die by. I want to make all of my hardest choices by. And I am so wedded to these values that I am willing to tell people that's my values. This is what okay, not okay for me looks like. And if I'm living off values, I want you to score me. I want you to tell me because I want to live and die by it. Right. You Get know? your accountability buddies. That's right. Know? Yeah. You know? So so the, the thing about accountability is no one knows what to hold you accountable to. Right. I will hold you accountable to my values. Wow. Because I have no idea what are your values. Yeah. And that's where all this conflict and yes. confusion sets in. Because so you're why, trying to live your yeah. life based on maybe your parents' values even. That's right. Yeah. So So you want to at least be able to name what are your values. And then once you know your values and once you know what okay, not okay looks like to you, then be prepared to have those conversations with others so that they can understand where you're coming from. Because sometimes we don't understand where we're coming from. Like, why does that matter to me so much? Should it matter to me that much? Right. So, you know. Say, you know, your girlfriend comes 10 minutes late all the time or 30 minutes late and it's like such a big deal to you but not a big deal to her. And, you know, your friends are like, oh, yeah, it's okay, I'll let it go. But you're like, no, it's really important to me. So it's, it's what you're saying is take time to unpack and figure why out is what is important? important to you and why. That's right. Because if you realise, so let's say about the going late thing, right? You realise actually it's not about the late, not late. It's actually about, uh, let's say for you, the core value is respect. And what is okay for you is uh, people, you know, is uh, people letting you know what's going on for them. And what's not okay is people hiding what's going on right. and blaming you for your, something like that. Right, right. Okay, Then at least if you're clear on that, you can then better have that conversation with your friend right. who's late all the time. And instead of like, why like, are you no late update. all the time? Yeah. Just let mm. them know like, hey, um, so what's okay for me is if there's something going on for you, uh, I would love to get a text from you just to let me know you'll be 30 minutes late and I would be totally okay with that. Uh, what I'm not okay with is you ghost me. You don't let me know what's going on because, and why that's important for me is I feel that uh, I feel that that's not respecting me or respecting the time that I set aside because I, when I want to meet up with you, it's because I really, really want to connect with you. I don't want to spend half an hour like waiting around, you know. Uh, so you you want, you need that vocabulary to be clearer about that conversation. It doesn't make it any easier, but at least it's a bit clearer. So your friend knows what they're dealing with. So it's a you're letting them know it's not about the lateness or not right. lateness. It's about it's also unpacking what are the things around it that you actually care about. Yeah. So and it's to let people know. See, often when you have a dispute with someone. We, would, we might be quick to name what's not okay, mm. but not complement it with what would be okay right. and why. And part of boundary setting is naming what's okay. not okay and what is okay. This That's is right. okay for me and this is not okay for me. And why. And why. That's okay. right. So a, a full boundaries conversation is what's okay, what's not okay and why. And often a boundaries conversation doesn't work out because we don't have that in full. We wow. leave out one of the components. Wow. 
Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Mm. Well, with one last closing question, Xia, I'm, I would love to hear what is one thing you would say to yourself or to anyone listening to close 2021 and move forward in 2022 with more hope and clarity? Mm. I would say that whatever happened to you, whatever you did or didn't do, you are okay enough to accept it. You are okay enough to be kind to yourself and you are okay enough to then from that platform of self-worth start to do something about it so that your life would look a bit different from when you first began. And don't look down on small beginnings. What's important is that you begin and keep moving towards that end purpose. Yeah. Thank you, Xiao. Thank you for your gift of connection and clarity. And I wish you the best for 2022. May you find the brightest, boldest, most beautiful version of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening today. What is one thing that you are now thinking about from this episode? Take some time to write it down and feel free to share it with me as well. By the way, it would help me so much if you can leave me a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends. Thanks guys and see you next time on The Purposepreneur.